Well, good morning, and uh, again, welcome to Restore Church. Uh, if you're just joining with us this morning, uh, we've been going through a series together called uh, From Death to Life. And uh, we've been going through the book of John. So if, if you need a Bible, just go ahead and throw your hand up, and someone will bring one to you. Uh, they'll give you one that looks just like this. And I can even tell you what page we'll be on, because I'm using the same Bible. Uh, if not, go ahead and, and pull your Bible out, whether it's your tablet or your phone or, or whatever you're going to use, and we're going to find John 15. If, if you're in the Bible I'm using, it's page 508. Uh, 508, go ahead and throw your hand up. Well, someone will bring one to you. Man, I'll tell you, we got the best-looking volunteers. You know what I'm saying? Best-looking volunteers. Um, we've been going... Oh, sorry. It's kind of... We live, baby. Uh, we've been going through this series together uh, called Death to Life. We began, the, the, we began uh, the beginning of the year going through John, and we started off the year with a series called New Me, Who This? And the first six chapters of John is like Jesus bursts on the scene. Uh, he's there. He's doing miracles. People are following him. It's pretty cool. But from chapter six, uh, or from chapter seven and on, it gets tough. And so we did a series called Clickbait. In that the world can offer you a whole lot of things, um, but, man, they're just not as good as what God can offer you. Then we started, as we went through John, and John kind of slows down his pace of telling the story of Jesus when he gets to the last and final week of Jesus' life. And that's where we are. We're talking about the last waning moments of, of Jesus' life, and, and we're in, so we started a series called Death from Death to Life. And the Bible talks all the time about moving from spiritual death into spiritual life and being alive in Christ. And so as we look through each chapter here at the end of John, what we're asking you to do is to participate with us and help, and help us study. And so like this week, we're doing John 15. Next week, uh, during this week, you'll read at home John 16. Because there's no way we could preach through the whole chapter uh, each week because sometimes they're long. Or even if we do preach through the whole chapter... Uh, we might miss a couple things. And so, you know, on, on your own time, go ahead and read John uh, 16. This week we're in John 15, and the last few chapters, <clears throat> John 13 and 14, both take place at this meal. We call it the Last Supper. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all tell the same story, but they tell it a little differently. John adds in uh, this scene where, where they're about to eat, and then Jesus gets up, puts a towel around him, grabs some water, and goes to wash his friend's feet. And that's when the meal kind of got weird. Can you imagine you have somebody over for dinner, and then they just get up, go to your kitchen, fill a bowl of water, and come start washing your feet? It's flip-flop season. I've seen some of y'all's feet. That meal's going to get weird real quick. It got weird. Like, the tone of the meal changed. Because the way Jesus started to speak to his disciples changed. He starts to give them messages about, in just a couple days, I'm going to die, but only to raise again. And they're like, yeah, 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 we've heard this before. And then he says to Peter, you're going to betray me. You remember what Peter says? Never. I will die with you. Well, in John 18, he's going to deny Jesus three times, just like Jesus said he was. He tells Judas, uh, well, he tells the group, someone in here will betray me. He's talking about Judas. So, the meal gets a little bit strange in John 13. And then John 14, Jesus starts this conversation. We don't read it about it in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. We only read it about it in John. In John 14, Jesus starts to talk about, I'm going to go away. 
And where I've gone, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If, If it weren't that way, I wouldn't be telling you this. And so he starts to talk about heaven and eternity together. Well, we end that conversation. We're all sitting around this meal with Jesus and his disciples. And then we see John chapter 14, verse 31. So before we get into 15, look at verse 31 of chapter 14. Just the last line is so important to us. It says this, come now, let us leave. Man, I think for us to just sit there and to think about the disciples' response to this statement. For a disciple who is in love with Jesus, they have no choice really. Not that Jesus would reprimand them, but it's like I have no choice but with my life to answer what you just said. Jesus, of course I'm going to follow you. I'm going to get up from my seat and follow you. But can you imagine if Jesus says, all right, let's, let's get up and let's go. And some of the disciples were like, you know what, man, I don't know. I kind of like it here. It's comfortable. We got a little air conditioning rolling. Not really. They might have had some fans or something. I'm not sure. But, uh, you know, like the meal's good. Jesus is comfortable here. No one's coming in this room to to hurt us. Jesus, we're good. You know, it, it just doesn't happen. Because his disciples, well, they have to listen. Followers of Jesus, by definition, they follow Jesus, even out of comfort. So I think one thing for us to, before we get into the sermon, is is ask this question is, are we following Jesus? Like, I mean, this Jesus, not the internet Jesus. (laughs) Um, Jesus says, come now, let's leave. Now, here's the thing. Jesus knows Jesus knows where they're they're headed, but the disciples do not. Jesus is not just leading them down a trail. I mean, he is, but he's not leading them down a trail just so they can see sights and enjoy some nice brisk walk in the evening with their homie, you know? Jesus is not just like he did before, take them through a stroll right past the temple where he can point and make an object lesson. Jesus is not leading them into the middle of a crowd so he can do another miracle for the disciples to remember. Jesus asked the disciples to follow him. They don't know where they're going, but Jesus does. Will you follow, would you follow, this is not what sermon is about, but if Jesus asked you to do something, even not knowing what the outcome is, would you do it? Yeah, it's, it's weird, I know, but would you? Jesus is leading the disciples out of the comfortability of the upper room. Jesus is leading the disciples into the Garden of Gethsemane where in just moments he'll be arrested. Jesus is leading the disciples to be a part of the final moments of his life. And Jesus is just not just leading them into this teaching moment, but he's leading them by example. Watch, Watch what I mean. Now we're in chapter 15. Look at the first four verses. Jesus says, I am the vine and my father is the gardener. Okay, just to keep the analogy, analogy straight, who's the vine? It's Jesus. Who's the gardener? It's God, his Father. He cuts off every branch in me and that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the words I have spoken to you. Jesus says, remain in me. As I also remain in you, no, br- no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless, 
unless you remain in me. You cannot bear fruit unless you remain in me. Verse 2, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. Jesus has this teaching moment with his disciples, and then he starts to talk about this pruning process. Um, what, what do you know about pruning, right? D does a plant do that naturally as it grows? No, and if a plant doesn't get pruned, it's going to grow all over the place. It's probably going to grow into unhealthy situations and end up killing itself. It's going to hurt itself. It doesn't get pruned. Now, if you want more fruit from your vegetables, I've never, I've never grown a vegetable a day in my life. Okay, so it's just from what you see on HGTV. That's where all this is coming from. But, um, you know, if you, if you want a plant to bear more fruit, to give you more cucumbers or carrots or cotton candy grapes. You've, have you tasted these things? Tastes like cotton candy. You have to prune the plant. You have to put shears to it and cut it. Have you ever been like chasing after God, like a season in your life where you really are just seeking God? You're doing all of the right things. Right? You're in God's word, you're, you're praying, you're, you're worshiping, you're spending time with other people, but it just seems like life is still giving you a pretty crappy hand. And you look at God and you're like, dude, I'm doing everything the best I can. I'm just going to tell you, sometimes God has got to cut some things off before you can really start to blossom. You catch what I'm saying? There are some things, man, that there are some relationships that God has got to cut off of your life if you're really going to turn into the person he wants you to be. And uh, we'll get into that in, in just a couple minutes. But, look, don't blame God. Because actually the things that are going on in your life might actually be good for you. It's like kind of like what we talked about last week. It's just understanding that God as your father has your best intention at heart even when you're in the tough times. So far from Jesus' teaching, we know that God is pruning the branches so that they'll bear fruit. We know that every branch that does not bear fruit does not belong on the plant. And so the gardener cuts it off. He doesn't allow that part of the vine to be alive. In verse 4, the analogy, though, it begins to make a little bit more sense to the disciples. Jesus says this, if you remain in me, I will remain in you. If you do not remain in Jesus, to the disciples, he says, if you do not remain in Jesus, you're like a branch that is alone. It can't bear fruit. You can only bear fruit if you do what? If you remain in Jesus. It's really good for us to pause right here and make a statement, or like ask a question. Who is Jesus talking to? Jesus is talking to the disciples. Jesus has an intended audience for who he's saying this to. This isn't some guy walking around with a tape recorder like Michael Scott in his office trying to write a book. Okay? This is Jesus with an intended audience with an intended message. And so, who is he talking to and about? Disciples. People who want to follow Jesus. 
These words are meant for those of us who are striving to be closer to Jesus. Those, for those of us who are wanting to devote our life to being a Christ follower. He's talking to the people who got up out of the room of this dinner and followed him. We know that Judas left to go betray him. Look, if someone is claiming to be a disciple of Jesus, but does not want to remain in him, is a hypocrite. It's what our church, it's what the church has gotten a bad label for. It's people who claim to love Jesus, but they really don't act like it. And before you start thinking about your Facebook friend, you might want to look in the mirror first to make sure that's not you. Someone cannot say, someone cannot say, I am a Christian. And then when they leave uh, this church, they go back and gossip about who was, who was at church and who wasn't at church and what they said or what they were wearing. Gossip does not exist in the life of someone who loves other people the way Christ does. Someone cannot say, I'm a Christian, but have a home life where Christ is absent. Someone cannot say, I'm a Christian, and the life they live and the people they love or don't love is contrary to the life of Jesus. Someone cannot say, I am a Christian, and then expect everything to be all right and perfect in their life, but they're not honoring God Monday through Saturday. See, the term Christian in our society has been so washed down, watered down, it doesn't mean anything. That's why at Restore we call it a Christ follower, someone who pursues Jesus. A Christ follower is in absolute need of Christ. Do you need Jesus? Like, honestly, could you live your life without him? Could, could you go to work and be completely cool without Jesus? In your relationships or in your marriage, can you look at your wife and, like, work through things without the power of Christ? Can you look at your husband and, and be completely, like, okay without him imitating Christ the way that Christ loved the church? Like, could you live your life without Jesus? Or do you desperately need him because that is a mark of a Christ follower? If you don't have this book, uh, you should get it. Uh, occasionally, Francis Chan online will have, uh, like, sell his books for, uh, well, I guess you can't sell it for free. That doesn't make sense. He will give his books away for free. You can download them. Sometimes they're like $5 a pop. Um, I, <laughs> I have a habit of just reading this, someone's like, oh, yeah, tell me more about the book. And I'm just like, here, have it. Uh, so I had to buy the electronic copy, so I couldn't do that anymore. Um, one time I gave my wife's copy away, and it wasn't good. So I was like, fine, I'll just buy an electronic copy in your face. Don't act like you don't fight like that. I know some of y'all. All right, thank you. Uh, we don't fight like that. We don't, have, we don't fight. We don't fight. My grandfather, you know what he says. If you've been around long enough, you know what my grandfather calls fights between him and his wife. Intense fellowship. That's good. That's what preachers do. We just use our words differently. <clears throat> Francis Chan uh, wrote this book, Crazy Love. And, and other than the Bible, this book changed my life more than any other book. It, it really put me on a pursuit of Jesus instead of just being a, uh, a 21st century Christian, you know. And so, I, uh, anyway. He, in chapter 6, it's called When You're in Love, and he starts off the, the chapter like this. Have you ever met someone who was utterly and desperately in love with Jesus? I have. He says, my wife's grandma, Clara. 
I spoke recently at Grandma Claire's funeral, and I could honestly tell the mourners gathered that I had never known anyone more excited to see Jesus. Every morning, Claire would kneel down by her bed and spend precious hours, hours with her Savior and Lord. Later in the day, just the sight of the corner of her bed would bring joy-filled tears and deep anticipation of the next morning spent kneeling in his presence. Grandma Clara acted toward God the way we act toward people we're madly in love with. When you're truly in love, you go to great lengths to be with the one you love. You'll drive for hours to be together, even if it's only for a short while. You don't mind staying up late to talk. Walking in the rain is romantic, not annoying. You'll willingly spend a small fortune on the one you're crazy about. When you're apart from each other, it's painful, even miserable. He or she is all you think about, and you jump at the chance to be together. This, um, that, that, that's, uh, this page is what I remember, what I think about, when I think about being in love with Jesus. But what I'd never read before until this morning when I was, uh, I was just reading through my sermon, and, and I got to this part, and I never read the beginning portion right here of the chapter. And uh, Francis Chan quotes uh, a man named A.W. Tozer. Um, and so just stick with me because he does say these and thous and you know, don't check out, okay? But listen to this and see if you can connect with a portion. He says, Oh God, I have tasted thy goodness, and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need for further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire. O oh God, the triune God, I want to want thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me thy glory, I pray thee, so that I may know thee indeed. Begin in, begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Then give me grace to rise and follow thee up from this misty lowland where I have wandered so long. I, uh, I connected so deeply with these two verses this morning in, on my front porch. I am, painly, I am painfully conscious, conscious, I remember the first time I learned to read, <laughs> all right, I am painfully conscious of my need of further grace. How about this one? I am ashamed of my lack of desire. On my tombstone, I, I hope one of the things that's written, because I, I have a lot of things one written on my tombstone, so it's going to be really huge, okay, with all of the things. Uh, but one of them that I, I want to be said is, uh, Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I hope that you can say that. I mean, I hope you can say that for your own family and for your friends, but I hope you can say that about me. I hope you can say, man, I followed, I, I knew Jesus because I watched him through Roger, or, or because I got to spend time with Roger, and we hung out, and, and he showed me what Jesus looked like. Man, that's the desire of my life, but I got to be honest, though, to talk about falling in love with Jesus and wanting Jesus and needing Jesus, there is a part of me that just feels like a hypocrite to talk about it, maybe even like a fraud at times, because you know, there are times where life beats me up, where I don't even want to open my Bible. 
Like, I'd rather binge watch a show I've seen a thousand times or the new season of Last Chance You that is on Netflix for all you Last Chance You fans. I know. Uh, now I can't stop thinking about Last Chance You. All right, back on it. I, um, there are times where I just open my Bible and, and I just, sometimes life beats you up. Just me, cool, all right. Sometimes other people. Sometimes it's Christians. Sometimes it's yourself. And you get to a point where it's like, God, I, and I hate to say it, but I don't even want to. And so when A.W. Tozer says, like, forgive me for my lack of desire, I'm ashamed of my lack of desire, I felt that. But then he says, Lord, I want to thirst for more so that I can be more thirsty. I, I want to hunger. I, I pray that you make me more hungry than I already am. And y'all, if we're going to remain in Jesus, that is the heartbeat and the mindset behind following him. It's not following him out of duty. It's not following him because that's what our grandparents want us to do or our, or our parents want us to do. We're not following him because it's part of the American dream. We're following Jesus because we want Jesus. Jesus keeps teaching right here in verse 5. He says this, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's pause here. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. And you're like, well, I made my career without Jesus. Uh, you know, I, I've gotten to this point in my life without Jesus. What do you mean I can do nothing? Jesus really is trying to say you can do nothing meaningful. You can do nothing in your life. You cannot bear positive fruit that is long-lasting without Jesus. Some of you are searching for peace so desperately in your life right now, apart from Jesus, and you will not find it. You will find temporary calmness, but not everlasting peace. There are some of us in here who just desire joy, and you're trying to find it without being connected to Jesus, and you won't find it. You might find some happiness that lasts for a time, but you will not find joy. Some of us in here are trying to find, like, the next fix for our relationship. And you're just going to keep going into debt trying to spend money to distract yourself. Or you're just going to keep uh, uh, finding yourself running down this rabbit hole that leads to emptiness and loneliness. And apart from Jesus, it's nothing. He's teaching, and he says, If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is my Father's, this is for my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, knowing yourselves to be my disciples. I need to pause here and say this is not... We are not a prosperity gospel type church. This is not a name it and claim it type church. When you leave here and say, God, in the name of Jesus, there needs to be $10 million in my bank account. I'd be the richest man in the world, all right? That's just not how it works. But what it does show is a deep relationship to say, God, because of your son Jesus, can you make this happen? Because I'm so connected, can you make this happen? So I just want to explain that verse before you leave here and you say, man, I need a new Ferrari. In the name of Jesus, I need a Ferrari. And when it shows up, you're not disappointed in God, okay? Just, but if that does happen, just let me know because that would be pretty cool. 
Jesus continues with this analogy of the gardener and the vine. Who now is the branches, are the branches? It's the disciples. I uh, just want to make you aware, now whether this frightens you or not, it really doesn't matter, but uh, it's hurricane season. And if you weren't around last year, uh, it can get a little crazy around here, okay? Now, when I text a lot of people from church, or we started to put out messages from church of, are you okay, how's your house, how's your family, a lot of the biggest response we got, other than a few people, you know, that had to move and all that, uh, the biggest response is, everything's good, I just have a lot of yard work ahead. A lot of, now, I don't, I hate yard work, it's just not my thing. I mean, I like to be outside, but I, I don't want to work, I just would rather fish, okay? That's just how it goes. And do you remember, like, the trees that were falling and the branches everywhere, and you were out there with your rake. I was not out there with a rake. We just pushed everything to the back corner and hoped the wind would blow it all away, and it hasn't. It's just out there in the back corner dying, but it's good because it's killing grass, and that means I don't have to cut as much grass. So it's like a win-win. But where are all those branches now? Where are all the branches you saw in your front yard? Where are all the, the trees that were falling down? They're probably in the bottom of your fire pit. Uh, they're burnt. They're gone. The wind has blown them away. They're not here anymore. We can't see them because they're gone. When Jesus describes the disciple, of, uh, the, the follower of him, they're connected with Jesus. It's similar to a father and son relationship. That says, man, whatever you ask me, I'll give to you. Um, the question I think that we have to ask right now in our life is, are you connected with Jesus? Are you trying to live a life as a Christ follower connected with Jesus all the time, every day? Look, trying to solve the problems of your life on your own without Jesus, it's going to lead to disappointment and discouragement. Trying to find emotional and relational contentment apart from Jesus, it's going to lead to abandonment and delusion. Trying to pretend your way through life as if, those, as if though everything's all right is going to lead to depression and anxiety and fear. Are you connected with Jesus? Do you have the source? And so to, to state the obvious, the disciple of Jesus wants, desires to remain in Jesus. It's not an optional thing. Let's uh, finish this section together. Um, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, Jesus says. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Hold on to that phrase because we're going to use it at the end. My commandment is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down his own life, to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I have learned from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. 
to love one another. There's a process that happens here in this section, and, and I want to walk you through it just for a second. Um, working from the assumption that we all want to be disciples of follow or disciples of Jesus, we all want to be followers of Christ. Uh, I want you to look back at this passage with me. Verse 9, Jesus asked the disciples to remain in me and to remain in his love. The natural question of a disciple of Jesus, when Jesus says, remain in me and remain in my love, the natural question is, okay, that's great, but how do I do that? When verse 10, Jesus answers the question of how. He says, obey my commands. Okay, got it. If I want to remain in your love, I will obey your command. What's your command? In, verse 10, in verses 12 to 14, he says, my command is this, for you to do what? For you to love one another. At the end, verse 17, Jesus summarizes it again. Love one another. So how do we remain in Jesus? To love one another, to care for one another. A part of being a Christ follower is it's not enough just to love God. It is not enough to be a Christ follower just to love God. A part of being a Christ follower is to love each other. When Jesus was asked, what are the most two important commandments, he boiled it down to, or what's the most important commandment, Jesus boiled it down to two. He says, to love God and to love others uh, the best you can, just like you would love yourself. And I think this is the greatest failure of the church. Restore Church says that we, re, we uh uh, relentlessly love God, we recklessly love people, and we radically love the world. But we can only say that, we can only say that if we truly do it. And what I'm afraid of is that the greatest failure of the church is that we've taken the definition of love and we interpret it based on how the world loves, and then we bring it into here, and that's how we love each other give you two examples of how we've taken love from the rest of the world and brought it into here. The first thing is this. We live in a garage door society. Here's what I mean. I grew up with a garage door that opened when you push the button in your car, okay? Ours would do that also, but I just have a lot of stuff, okay? And the garage is where I keep it. All right. Sue me. Well, don't, because then you'll take all my stuff in the garage. So, um, you push the button, right? And you push the button when? Not when you pull into your driveway. You push it when you're following, when you're like getting up to your neighbor's uh, mailbox. Because you want to make sure that when you get up to the garage door, you're not waiting on it. So you don't have to make awkward eye contact with your neighbor who's cutting uh, the grass with his shirt off. Because that's weird, right? So you want to pull in. And then before you get out of your car, you want to hit the button so it closes so that... Uh, the guy that's selling you gutters doesn't see you as he's walking down the sidewalk. You know what I'm saying? This garage door society makes sure, it makes sure that we don't know our neighbors. That we don't know the, the kids in the street, in our street. Matter of fact, we go through the garage door, go in the house, get ready, and then go play in our fenced-in backyard. I mean, that's just the way that our society works. That's how it plays out in your neighborhood. And unfortunately, that's how it's playing out in our churches. Do you know the person behind you? Do you know their first name? 
What about their last name? What about what they do for a living? Do you know their spouse's name? Do you know their kids? How about the person in front of you or the person next to you? You, you get my point. Exactly. You guys are looking around. You're like, I'm not even sure I remember my name, okay? We get here right at 11. Um, no, no, no. Who am I kidding? This is second service. We get here like 11.10. <laughs> Sometimes the band gets up here and we're like, oh, this is it. All right, nobody's going to be here for second service. Got it. All right. We get here, and then right when church is over, we're out, right? Especially if someone starts walking toward us. Come on, we got to go. We got to go. Get, get your stuff. Put your shoes on. We got to get out of here. The pastor is chasing us. The other definition of love that we've let come into our church, and I think this is probably the biggest danger, is our social media type of love. I got a thousand friends on Facebook, and I only see four people's stuff all the time. If you're one of those four people and I like you, well, one, I like you, and that's good, but you're like, man, this is creepy. Roger just likes all my stuff, and it's weird. But, but then I say something you don't like. Or I post my view on something, which I don't because it just creates arguments, but let's just say I did, and, and you don't like it. What are you going to do? You will, we usually don't do anything except block, unfriend, unfollow, or reply to my Facebook status because we're keyboard warriors. We have a lot of courage behind a keyboard. And we brought that into our church. I got an issue with someone who's on the other side, who's sitting literally 35, 50 feet away from me. But I would rather just unfriend, unfollow, and block. I'd rather not talk to them about it. I'd rather, actually, I'd rather just tell everybody else about it, and they'll have my back. But nothing's ever going to happen. You see, we as a church have lost the art of how to love people. The first step to loving people is you got to know who they are. You got to know who you're loving, right? The second is you got to be in it. Like you got to be willing to love them even when it's not fun. Even when it's even when it's difficult. Paul writes in the church in the in his letter to the Roman church, he says, uh, we rejoice when each other rejoices. And we mourn when each other when when we mourn, when others mourn. But I can tell you something. The church in America, we do not rejoice with each other and we do not mourn with each other because we don't even know each other. You can't rejoice with me because you don't know me. You don't mourn with me because you don't know what's going on with my life because honestly, you'd rather, uh, we'd just rather ignore each other. Now I'm getting tired, so it's a little bit on my soapbox. So here we go. <laughs> no, I, I'm kidding. Look, I want to know you and I want you to know me. Can I ask you to do me a favor? And I want, you, I want all of us to live it. This might be an imitate me as an imitate Christ thing. If we have a problem, can you tell me about it? And not other people first? And not social media first? Here's why. Not because I'm embarrassed, but because I love you. And I want you to love me enough that if we have an issue, look, we got to work through it. If we're really going to love one another the way Christ, the way that God wants the church to connect with each other, we got to work through stuff, right? 
we got to have relationships where we can have accountability, where you can call me out on my crap and tell me when I've hurt you. We've got to have relationships when I can encourage you, when, when, I, when I can tell you the truth, when we can call each other righteousness, when we can call each other to look more like Jesus. Because if we're not doing that, we're failing at loving each other. All right, I'm off my soapbox. Uh, I want to talk just, I want to give you three quick things, and then I'm going to finish with a passage, uh, one of my favorite passages in the Bible about unity, or about uh, love. So if we're going to love God, we're going to love people, um, I'm going to give you three things that you can do tomorrow, that you can do tomorrow to put into action what we talked about today. Here's the first thing. How many times do you eat dinner a week? I eat dinner like nine times a week, meaning like, I eat dinner every day, and sometimes I eat dinner twice. All right, so do you. Don't laugh at me. All right, you do. Yesterday, I ate dinner like three times. You eat dinner every day. Why not eat dinner with someone else in here, someone else in this room? I feel like if I said in the first service, I got to say it in this service. When someone comes to me a lot of times, which I appreciate, I appreciate. Someone will say, Roger, Restore Church is not a church for me. And that's, that's fine. Look, we're not into building an aquarium and, uh, and holding everybody else in, okay? A lot of times, someone, if someone comes to me and says, Roger, this isn't church for me, my first response, honestly, is always, let me help you find the best church for you. Uh, what we want is for people to be able to worship without distraction and without obstacles. And if that's not here, that's not here, okay? But that's fine. I mean, it's not fine because we're the best church, but there's a second best church somewhere, right? But I, I want to, and if that's you, look, I want to help you. Honestly, for real, I want to help you. The, the second thing, and I hear this all the time, is, man, I'm just not creating relationships. I don't have any relationships. So I'll say to them all the time, most of the time, okay, well, where are you hanging out with people to build the relationships? Well, I'm at church Sunday morning, and I'm in a life group. How well are you building relationships right now? You're not. You're sitting in a room of other people who believe the same thing. Now, this is important. To hear from God's word and worship together is so important. But right now, you're not building any relationships. It's like this is exactly like taking a date to the movies. That is the most counterproductive thing. If you want to go see a movie together, that's great. But that's not a date. That's just, you could, you know, you can watch TV together. It's the same thing. And in life group. You're in a life group. That's great. That is a next step. And I'm going to say that as my second next step is get into a life group. But if you're going to have meaningful relationships, you got to do it Sunday, life group, and some other time. In life group, there's 15 other people. You can't have deep relationships with someone in a room full of 15 other people. If you're going to have deep relationships, it's got to be Sunday. You got to do it outside of church, not just here. Maybe that was my third one. Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what it, Aaron wrote my sermon. So if it's really good, she, yeah. She writes all my good sermons. I write all my bad ones. So here's the thing. Invite, invite someone over for dinner. Okay? Before you leave today, invite someone over for dinner. Hey, if you get invited to dinner, say yes. It's weird going to somebody's house, but you get to eat. All right? Um, invite someone over for dinner. Jesus ate with people all the time. He ate with sinners. He ate with people who believed the same thing he did. He ate all the time. Acts tells us that the early church met together every day in each other's homes. That's actually how they celebrated communion was over a meal. Second thing you can do is join a life group. 
Acts says that they met together in each other's homes to study the Bible, to pray with one another, to hold each other accountable. Um, and this is probably the best way to live out what God's called us to do. The third thing you can do is to make an effort to know people in the church, outside the church. Know people's names, know their stories, and just try to get out of your circle. Three things you can do. Invite someone over for dinner. Join a life group. Get involved with your life group and attend your life group. And then uh, just make an effort to hang out with people in the church, outside the church. All right, let's bring this thing home. I was on cue. I didn't even have to say anything. Good job. Everyone give Brianna a hand, please. That was great. Uh, I, I do have to say this. I do have to say this. Our sound people and our tech people, they put in a lot of work. I don't know if you see all the stuff and all the cords and all the cables. Uh, they come in on Saturdays to do all this, um, and they never get seen until they mess up and everyone turns around to look at them. Don't do that. <laughs> just don't do that. But they, they deserve a lot more credit than the class we just gave them. But I've preached in a long time, so we don't have time to clap more. Paul wrote a letter to the Philippian church. And a lot of people say that Philippians is about joy. It's not. The book of Philippians is about unity. Jesus will say in, the next, in John 17 that unity, the unity of the church, is what will bring people who are far from Christ to know him. Not our programs, not what we do, not Oktoberfest, but, but the unity of us. Then he'll say the opposite is true. Disunity drives people away. Why would I want to belong to that dysfunctional thing? A lot of you left church a long time ago because of that. So Paul writes a church to a church about unity. And a byproduct of unity, of us being together, is joy. And so Paul writes uh, my favorite book of the Bible, Philippians, and, and in it is chapter 2, and he says this. Therefore, if you have any encouragement in Christ, if, any comfort, uh, if, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any sharing in his spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, and it's almost like at the end of each one of these phrases you can say, and there is, right? So uh, if there's any encouragement from being united with Christ, and there is, if there's any comfort from his love, and there is. If there's any common sharing in the spirit, if there's any tenderness and compassion, and, and there is, then make my joy complete. Remember Jesus said, you will make my joy complete by loving one another, and then you will make your joy complete. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mine. Hang on before we move on. We are together preparing uh, Restore Church, we're preparing our hearts and our minds for the 2020 election, okay? One thing that we will not do is allow the way you vote to divide this congregation. Uh, post whatever you want on social media, I don't care, but we're not going to divide over it. And wouldn't it be crazy? 2020 elections, dude, churches are going to divide over this stuff. I, I, I promise, guarantee it. 2016 was bad enough, 2020 is going to be worse. What if people look at Restore and be like, what's going on? They voted differently than each other, but they love each other. <laughs> they don't agree with each other, but they love each other. How do they have the same mindset? How do, they, how do they have the same purpose, the same spirit? That's a great question. And so if you read verses 1 and 2 and you're saying like, how do I do that? 
Not only was Paul the best church planner, but he's the most practical preacher too. So he says this in verse 3. Here's how. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Do not consider your own interests, but put the interests of others ahead of yourselves. This is a big practical how, right? Like, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, consider others, value others above yourself. Now look at verse 4. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. How do we have one spirit, one mind, one purpose all together by doing this? Here's how this works. Don't be selfish. All right, that's, that's pretty hard. In a society where Roger's first, and that's probably the way it should be, we get it, but in a society where we're number one, you're number one, you need to consider your needs above everybody else. That's what the world tells us. uh, Paul writes, that's not the way it works. The way it works is you look to the interests of other people, not after yours, before yours. What that means is I'm running after your needs. When you say I need it, I'm there. And I don't care about my needs. I'm not even paying attention to them. Why? Because you are. You're meeting my needs. The way that Paul writes this. Uh, I didn't share this in the first service because they were here. But um, I was watching the national championship game. I don't share stories about me. Like Usually stories I tell, I'm the butt of the joke. Um, so I'll try to think of one while I'm telling you the story. Watching the national championship game, Clemson crushed Alabama. It was the greatest act of God. And uh, I'm watching, and I watch the games probably as close to this TV as I'm standing right now. And I take 3,000 steps all right here in this one little square. And I'm in my mode. I got my jersey, or I got my T-shirt on. It's national championship, you know, like... College football, from the last game to the national championship, is like a month away. You wait for this, you know? And uh, I'm watching, I'm watching, I'm watching. My phone rings. And I was like, all right, they're just messing with me. They're just messing with me. I was like, I don't know. Something about this makes me want to pick it up. So I pick up the phone, and I answer it. And they're like, hey, Roger, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, you are so funny. You think you are so funny. Ha, ha, ha. I was like, oh, nothing, nothing. Okay, can you come over? And I was like, are y'all making food? Y'all got like the, what, can y'all, can you come over? And I was like, um, maybe. And then I hear his spouse in the background crying. Can you come over? Yeah. I went in the back, knocked on the door. It's like, Aaron, I got to go. And I was so sad. I'm texting everybody, don't text me about the game. I was texting and driving. Don't text me about the game. Don't call me about the game. Don't tell me about the game. Why am I able to do that? Because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, if my marriage one night needs just someone to come over and be in the middle of it or care for us, if I need something in the middle of the night, I know that the people in this church have my back and will be here like that. That's the way I'm able to do that. So I'm only able to, to do that in the middle of a national chat. Don't do that to me, okay? No, if you need it, if you need it, do it. But I'm only able to do that because you love me so well. So you're the hero of that story. 
How do you do that? How do you care for other people that way? Paul's the most practical preacher. Look at this. Watch this. All right, we're finished. I know I'm rambling. Okay. He says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. How do we have the same spirit? Well, we put the needs of others before yourself. It's, it's, it's hard to be selfish when you're serving other people. Well, how do I be, how do I do that? Well, have the same mindset of Jesus. What's the same mindset of Jesus? It's this. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be clung to or used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Verse 8. And being formed in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him, given the uh, exalted him to the highest place, and given the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, uh, and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. We can love each other that way because we have the example of Jesus. Now, check out this cycle. This is how we'll finish. Jesus says, you will remain in me if you keep my commands. What's my command? To love one another. How do we love one another? We put the needs of others first. How do we put the needs of others first? We get our example from Jesus. We have to remain in Jesus to love God and to love each other. There are some of us in here who need loved. You've never experienced a love like that. Just make it known. You'll feel it real quick here. We try to love really hard. And we try to do our best. But can I tell you something? Sometimes we fail. Sometimes we mess up. Sometimes we don't call back when we're supposed to. Sometimes we miss a text message. Or God forbid we miss a passive-aggressive Facebook post. Sometimes we just mess up. And listen, if you're looking for this kind of love and you're relying on people to give it to you, the only person who's going to love you unconditionally all the time and never mess up, it's Jesus. And there's some of us in here who just need to know that. Hey, I want to read this passage, this Philippians passage one time, and this will be our prayer as we end this morning. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the faith, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others better than yourself. Not looking to own your own interests, but to the interests of others. And this is the part that we are going to make our prayer. Verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude as Christ. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name. That in the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord forever and ever, to glory of God the Father. Amen.